Welcome to What's Your Beef? Each week, we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, I'm Jane Cudahy and this is What's Your Beef? Today we present our Director's Cut, where a Beef Australia director takes the reins and chats to someone in the beef industry that they've crossed paths with. G'day, I'm Russell Hughes, Vice Chair of Beef Australia. Today I'm chatting with Shane Webke, best known for his achievements on the rugby league field, spending his entire professional career of 12 years playing for just one team, the Brisbane Broncos, where he notched up 254 games. He represented Queensland on 24 occasions and wore the Australian colours in 26 tests. However, there's a lot more to Shane Webke than just his prowess on the football field, some of which we'll hopefully discover in this podcast. G'day Shane, and welcome to What's Your Beef? Thank you, mate. Shane, I haven't really thought too much about what you and I are going to talk about today, so why don't you tell me and our listeners something that you think we may not know about you, and we'll see where we end up. Something that people probably don't know about me, given where I ended up and what I do and what I'm known for now, is that way back when I was um, finishing school, I'd actually worked fairly hard at school because in the years when I was... Um, particularly I was getting through high school, very tough time in agriculture, which is you know through the 80s into the early 90s, and droughts and um, all sorts of things went on, and it was a tough time in, in agriculture. So being in an ag- agricultural school in the bush, um, teachers were very, and I think wrongly, were encouraging us away from, from rural enterprise, and, and because cause it was tough, and all of our parents were doing it pretty tough. Um, and so therefore what happened is you end up getting pushed in different directions. But I always knew that I wanted to be on the land one way or another. So one of the ways I, I thought that that would be possible is if I worked hard at school and got a good education, got a good job, that would allow me another income stream and then I'd team up with Dad and we'd buy more country. And so that was that was why I thought, and I think, well, that's not unusual for the country. But anyway, as a as an unintended byproduct of that, I... I obviously went pretty well at school and I got a good T score and I got accepted to do journalism. Journalism. Um, yeah, so journalism. Now the, now the weird thing about that is I didn't want to, I, didn't, I never wanted to go to university. And in what in, the intervention was, was, was a career with the Broncos. Mm. But funnily enough, on the other end of that, I go and work for Channel 7. And mm. technically what I do now makes me a journalist. Mm. I just missed the four years at uni. <laughs> well, I certainly didn't know that. However, it doesn't surprise me. Why not add journey to your list of career options and achievements? You've been an elite sportsman, guest and keynote speaker, publican, safety advocate, author, television sports reader, and I haven't even mentioned your dream job, agriculture, which we'll discuss shortly. So what happened then? Did footy get in the way of journalism? Well, footy got in the way of everything. I mean, I loved playing for the Broncos. That was a, that was a dream... That I, I just didn't think it was for me though. Like I, I, Wayne came up here to watch Stephen Price play a game and ended up signing me. And that's and people think, well, gee, that's that's rather too simplistic. But that's how it, that's how it happens for a lot of people. Just the right time, right place. I was seen, and it just started me on the on this path um, toward that career. But to be fair, I wasn't going to make it. Um, and what happened was his dad was killed. Mm. When he was killed, that just you know I was I was only 18, half, 19 years old. And what that does is it, it shocks you into growing up. And, and I was at the, in the fledgling stages of my Broncos career. That happened. And that just caused me to grow up overnight and, and completely changed my perspective 
about what life was and all the rest of it. Because when you know when you're 18 or 19, like your grandparents die, but that's normal. You know, they get old, they die. But but not someone close to you. There's a first person who's been close to me who, who, who was ripped away like that, and that was Dad. So all of a sudden I thought, you know, what's really important in this world? And rather than when I first went to Brisbane to play footy, I was hanging onto it so tight, you know, sometimes you hang onto something so tight it starts to slip through your fingers. I thought, this is really important, this is an important opportunity, I can't waste this. And so it started to slip away. When Dad was killed, we came home, we had to sell our stock and, and think about all the future, what it was going to be for Mum and all the rest of it. Well, I just went back to Brisbane with the attitude of, you know what, it's footy. I'll just go and I'll give it a crack, it's no good, I'm going home. Um, and I thought I'd go home and run our farm, do all sorts of things, which is another story altogether. Um, but funnily enough, I stopped thinking about it too much and just started playing for the same old reason I always played and something shone through. And from that point, my footy career worked. But it was only because of what happened. Like, and I know people are going to say, well, that's not possible. Um, that's not plausible either to think that just because Dad died, that's the reason I became a footballer. But for me, it is. If it, if it hadn't happened to him, and Wayne's told me this, I was on the, I was on the way out. Halfway through that, that year, uh, it was the second year of a two-year deal. I was on my way out because I just it just wasn't working, and that would have been fine. I'd have gone on, to, I'd have gone on to do something else. I had a really good work ethic. I was brought up with parents who taught us to work and taught us to do all the right things in life. I'd have got by and did something else. Mm. Uh, so that wasn't tragic to me to know that, but it's it's the the shock, the shock of losing dad and what that did to me was the reason that I realigned, um, and and took footy more seriously. You said the Wayne Bennett signed you. I thought it was actually Cyril Connell from Rockhampton who identified you and selected you. So Cyril did. Cyril saw me and um, put me on a Bronco scholarship. Right. So this is the start of it, right? At what age were you then? And I was 15 when that... when that. So Cyril saw me play somewhere and I don't know where. Wayne comes into it later on when it comes time to be signed for the club. So it was Cyril and Wayne together. Um, but Cyril definitely from the outset. Who, who, and, well, you obviously know him... Uh, a more gentlemanly, legendary rugby league personality you will never know. You know, there'll never be another one like him. Uh, so it's a great honour to have been scouted by him, to be absolutely honest. And 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 then so Wayne comes up to Toowoomba when I was getting so I was getting to towards seventeen, turning eighteen, and that's when he gets a bit fair income and they decide, well, okay, we're going to take this fella on, or what are we going to do? And it's a, it's a funny story, which I think I've told you before, but. Um, he comes up here. It was an under-18 grand final, and both Stephen Price and I were playing. We were a year young for the side. Anyway, I'd actually been really crook, and I'd been I'd spent a day or two in hospital, and I had to beg mum and dad to let me play. It was funny because on the day we, um, the coach of Pricey's side, Newtown, he knew Wayne Bennett, and Pricey was one of the, Pricey's one of these blokes who's always going to go and play NRL or do or do that because he, that's he was mad on it. Mm-hmm. Me on the other hand, I really wasn't. And so anyway, that day, that day two things happened that no one expected. The first was we won the grand final. We hadn't beaten them during the season, so it was that, that in itself. The other thing was is that Wayne Bennett didn't sign Steve Price. He signed me. And no one was more surprised at that than me. So from the day that Wayne signed you, how long was it before you actually... Well, that was the end of one footy season. I started down in Brisbane the next. But that was with Brisbane Brothers, who were a first-grade side. So what they did with their under-21s back then... They played in the Brisbane first grade competition and that was their affiliate was Brisbane Brothers. So I went and played a year with them, which was a really good year. I really enjoyed it. I played I was playing Colts, so playing under nineteens, but I played reserve grade and first grade regularly. Like in the old days when you used to you'd play Colts, then you'd sit for reserve grade and then you'd sit for first grade. Uh, so it was a really good year. They were a good club. David Wright was the first grade coach. 
um, Donny Gala was reserve grade, um, and Graham Quinn, all of whom great football names. Um, and there was just a really, it was a really good year of footy for me, um, and I really enjoyed it. And that, you know, enough obviously went right that um, at the end of that year, I sort of migrated onto a proper Broncos scholarship uh, contract rather, um, and started to play for the club proper and play reserve grade. Now. Around what time was your father's accident? Midway through the second year, and that was the end of a two-year deal. So it was pertinent that it happened that it did because that's what I said. I, it wasn't working out from the Broncos side of things. I just trying too hard. All those things I spoke about earlier, um, and so he was killed. He was actually killed on the on the on the on the state of origin, the second state of origin in uh, 1994. And so I woke up in the morning to that phone call yeah. after the origin. So it was. Um, and it was a horrendous time. It was it was just difficult to to explain to people who haven't been through it the horror of getting that phone call. When you know, and you, you start, what it does make you understand is how how frail human life is. My dad, and he was he was crushed by a wool press, mm-hmm. and the difference between him being alive or dead is about a second. The second that he had his head in 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 this dangerous place, he shouldn't have. And that he would have taken it back out, and in, in between there was a catastrophic hydro, hydraulic failure, and he was caught in the middle of it. So a, a second is the only reason why Dad's not here. Yeah. So it does tell you, you know, and, and this is where this is where I think I can play, and I try to play a, a pretty powerful role as a safety advocate, because we're none of us bulletproof. My dad was a tough man, a hard man, all of those things, and let's just get the job done, sort of bloke. Don't have to lose any of that. But you do have to understand when you're working with dangerous things, it's a second that will be the end of you or be the reason that you go on. You've told me previously that Wayne Bennett really stood up and supported you during that, that terrible time. And he was unbelievable. And, and you know, people would often, well, I don't think people would wonder why I'm so loyal to him, but, but I'm loyal to him because he was wonderful to me as a football coach and, and all of those things in a professional sense. But that pales in insignificance compared to what he's been to me as, as a mate and a, and, a, and a father figure, if you like, and all of those things that I needed. And, and I did it tough, mate. I did, like, there's no, you know, there was no seamless transition through all of this stuff. I did it tough. And, and you know, I, I was with my girlfriend then, who is my wife now of 26 years. Um, and, and I treated her terribly because I couldn't, I couldn't deal with what I was dealing with. So he helped me through all of that when, when I had no one else. And, and mate, the, the the best story about it though is that on the day of Dad's funeral now now I was a I was I was a Broncos player now just remember this so at the Broncos there's hundreds upon hundreds of players at any one time who are involved in the club so you have first grade yes and then there's there's probably a um, a decent sized squad like thirty or forty bucks who are who are proper part of the Broncos present and future and then there's the rest of us who are trying to get there and me who was trying to get there but clearly wasn't gonna. Um, and my dad gets killed, so that's that is what it is. And I had to I had to let the club know and do all those things. Um, and then I went home to to bury dad and do all the things that we had to do. And I and I spoke to Wayne, who I, who I didn't really know. I knew him a little bit, but not a lot. I spoke to him and I said, you know, I told him what had happened. This is on the morning. I rang him on the morning that it happened. And I said, this is what's happened. This is what I'm going to have to do. He said, mate, you just do what you got to do. He said we'll be here when you get back he said just take your time no problems at all and I put down the phone I thought well that's nice and that's the last I thought of that because and then the club sent flowers and that and look what exactly what you'd expect that they'd do 
and and that that I think was all they owed me in in a sense. So we get to Dad's funeral. It was a terrible day. It was just a terrible, terrible day, and I can I can only vaguely remember bits and pieces of it, but it was just it was horrendous. But I remember my brother and I were carrying Dad out, and he were obviously we at the front of his coffin. I remember looking over the side of the hill and I saw this big tall fella, and it was Wayne. Mm. And I don't think he even knows what he did for us that day. So, mm. so we were rugby league people, and Wayne was as esteemed then as he is now. Mm. And by him being there, so so the the one thing that we all felt, my my mother and my brother and I, felt like we felt like ants because something had just happened to us, and like it was, it was like there was no control, and like we were just we were just little pieces on a chessboard getting pushed around with no real control over ourselves. Anyway, and, and, and that dad had just been flicked off this planet and it didn't really matter, you know. But Wayne being there meant that it didn't. That, that, that he would take the time to be at my dad's funeral meant that my dad was important. Now that might sound, you know, that might sound a little, a little convoluted when I say it like that. But on that day, mate, when, when all that we, we put our stock in was gone, him being there made us feel like Dad didn't die for nothing. And I will never, ever stop being grateful to that man for him doing it. Years later, years later, I found out what he really did. So, as I mentioned, Dad was killed. He was killed the night of the Second State of Origin in 1994. The Bronx were doing it tough then. Mm. And so the, the pressure was the same then as it is now, is that, you know, when they start losing, it, it, like it, the pressure comes to bear really, really badly. And in that time, that's when Wayne is just, Wayne's always 100%, but he's 150%. And so at that particular time, we got into a situation where we had to keep winning and win every game to get to the finals. Mm. And so that is when, then is when it's all systems go. So on that week when Dad was buried, the last, so we was buried on a Friday, and that would have been um, the Broncos' captain's run. Now, the captain's run is the most important run of the week. It's when you put into process, um, put into, into a meeting, if you like, and, and round it all off of, of, of what you learned from the last week, which obviously would have been a loss, sure. what you tried to put in place, and you round it all up, go out and have a really good crisp session, and that mentally and physically puts you in the right frame of mind to go out and do your best in the game. Yeah. And that is the most important day of the week for Wayne. That's when he does his best work in that meeting and, and tying it all together. That's when he's a real specialist. And that wouldn't have been any more important on that particular day than any other year because because it, it was the pressure was coming to bear. But Wayne wasn't at that meeting. He was at my dad's funeral. So I know what he did for me that day, mm. and I know what he did for our family. And it wasn't as easy as, you know what, it's a day off, I might mm. just poke off to this funeral. Mm. It wasn't like that. He walked away from something that was really, really important, and he came to dad's funeral. Mm. And I'll never, ever forget it. Mm. You know what? If man tell me to run into a tree, I would have run into it. Is that one of the reasons why he's so successful as a coach? Yeah, and I tell people this. You want to know why Wayne Bennett can coach? You want to know why Craig Bellamy can coach? You want to know any of those blokes who you've seen have real success? It's because their players know that they count with him. Mm. So it's it's got, you know, coaching's got bugger all to do with rugby league in, in, a, in a rugby league sense is what I can speak of, obviously. Mm. So rugby league's a simple game, mate. We all know, we all, you know, those of us who have played it understand it. And, and it's, mate, when they run, knock them over. When you run, run hard, try and knock them over. But where the challenge lies in coaching, you've got all these different fellas from all these different backgrounds and, and different you know situations and circumstances you throw them all in, in, a, in a melting pot together in, in a pressure situation like people would not believe how much pressure there is involved in professional sport when you, when the, 
the pressure to perform and what goes with that is is huge and it's very very difficult and that's you know it pushes humans to the edge of the of, of their you know um, competencies so for for the coach what they got to do is they got to bring all that together forget about all the rest of it tactical speaking all the rest of it that that's pretty simple but where the where the good ones are good and this is where Wayne's really good is is that their players know that they count with him. They just know. They're not there to be numbers. We all knew that, yes, we had to do our job. If we wanted to stay there, we had to do our job. But we knew if we needed him in whatever capacity, he would come for you. And and you know that story I tell? Well, that, that's my version of it. I could bring every well-known Bronco you know who had a long career with the club, I could bring you and ask him to tell them a story about Wayne or something they've done to him. They'd tell you something, something similar, similar to that, but yeah. not the same. Yeah. That's yeah. the difference, mate. That's what yeah. good coaches do. Yeah, oh, that's incredible. So I guess when you first started the Broncos, you guys would have been a QE2, is that right? We were. Went at Lang Park. No, QE2. out there. So. Yep. So do you, do you remember your first proper run-on game for the Broncos? Yeah, back I do. Then? Yeah, good game. Because there was 52,000 people there. <laughs> we were playing St George. Um, no, we weren't. We were playing Illawarra when they were the Steelers. Biggest day of my life. 52,000 people there. I was nervous. I thought I was going to die. I didn't know anything. Anyway, I get out. The nerves go away. The moment you get, you go across the line, you get out on the field, then you're right um, because the whistle goes. And it's funny. And everyone who's ever had their de- debut tell you the same thing. You sort of think it's going to be the hardest thing you ever, ever do. So I got a early hit up. And I hit the ball up. And I didn't die. And they didn't hit me that hard. And I thought, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. So then, then... Then I got way ahead, of, way ahead of myself. So that was, call that the second hit up. I think I pushed someone like Glenn Lazarus out of the way. No, he didn't play it. It was, so, oh, pick, pick a well-known forward. And this young rooster who's making his debut, yeah. I pushed one of them out of the way to take yeah. the fourth yeah. hit up. So then we kick. Race down for the kick chase. Tackle, tackle, tackle. And then we get back. And, and at this stage, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just well in front of anywhere I should have been. And then, I, and then I get back and I race back to get another hit up. And I picked out this little halfback, I forget it was now, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going over you, brother, and I'm going to the other end. <laughs> this is how stupid this <laughs> was. Try on your first game. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I, I just thought, this isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And I, and I went ballistic. Anyway, so then I went at him and I picked him out and I, I hammered right through him. And I went past him. However, he had a hold of my boot. And what happened was, he had a real good hold on the boot. So I'd stepped, I'd stepped through him. I was in the hole, right? Instead of worrying about where my feet were, I sort of had, I was designing how my try celebration would look. Mind you, the try line was still about 70 metres away. <laughs> anyway, so I stepped through this. I stepped through it and I hit, and I felt this wrench, right? And I immediately knew I'd done something. Hmm. Anyway, he, so he, I sort of fell over, got up, played the ball, tried to put weight on my foot and I couldn't. That was at the 57-second mark of the game. First so, half. Yeah. 57 seconds. 57 seconds in. And that is where my debut ended. So, that's okay. That's okay. That can happen, right? I, I was devastated. And it, I have what they call a high ankle sprain. Not a serious injury at all. And the thing about Wayne Bennett is this, and many people don't understand this. Unless it's a compound fracture you actually aren't injured, okay? So unless there's blood or something broken that is visible, you are not injured. So I had to try and tell Wayne at half time that I had a high ankle sprain. <laughs> what the hell is a high ankle sprain? So anyway, that's where it ended. And I thought, well, 
that's it. That's my first grade career. Over and done. And that's how you, that's how you are. And it, you mm. can't help but be like that. You're fatalistic. Anyway, it'll tell you how bad we were going because I was looking for new blood because we get to the next week. So I went rehab, rehab, rehab. And and um, that's the normal process of things. And you go straight into it. And Wayne saw me early the next week and I was going through my rehab. And I knew this wasn't going to be long, this injury. So, mm. And he said, um, oh, rather unkindly, however he said, I won't use the language, but, but he... he um, he said, oh, look, if you get if you can get that little chicken wing of yours right, he said, you're right to go. I said, you beauty. And I thought, oh, this is good. Anyway, that's okay. So I'm rehabbing, rehabbing, rehabbing. Got to the end of the week. It wasn't going to get right. They said it was two weeks. I thought I could get through in a week, and I didn't. Got to the end of the week. And I went to tell Wayne, and I, and I was real sheepish, and I said, listen, mate, they reckon it's not right. And he just looked at me and walked away. And I thought, okay, now I'm going back to reserve grade. And I didn't play that weekend, obviously. Continued my rehab. Next week, it was coming, like, by, by, the, by the Monday or the following week, I was right to go. And I thought, well, I can't, I can't play reserve gun. And by then, I knew what I had to do to get back there, so I felt a bit better. Wayne comes and sees me, because we lost again on the weekend. This, this was helping me, because we were losing, they wanted new blood, I was seen to be it. And so he comes to me and says, um, you reckon you might see your way to actually, you know, justifying the money we pay you and play this week? <laughs> and I said, yeah, mate, I reckon. Anyway, so that's beard, no, no worries at all. So about midway through that week, though, I come home from training, and I was crook. But I mean, proper crook. And I thought, oh, geez, I don't feel good. I got to a point, and this is really unusual for me, I went to hospital because I was so sick, and I was feverish, and I was, and I was vomiting, and diarrhea, and it, it was coming from everywhere. So I went to the hospital, did blood tests and everything, and I had like an acute or a viral sickness, but it was um, like glandular fever, right. but a quick hit one. So not a cleanse of fever can run you down for months and months and months. Mm-hmm. This apparently was a version of that. So I had to go to hospital, and I stayed that night and the next day. But the next day was a day off. What I thought I was going to do, I'm not going to tell anyone, right? I'm not going to tell anyone I've been in hospital. I'm going to get through the day off. And so I got out in the next afternoon, and I had to go back to train the next morning. And I'd come good. They filled me full of gear. And they said, oh, you can't play football. You can't do this. And I said, mate, you? whatever. And I thought, I'm not going to tell anyone. But because I'm the front row and I'm so smart, Mm-hmm. It was a club mm-hmm. doctor who was treating me. So it doesn't matter. They're going to know, eh? So I got to train the next morning, and Wayne already knew. And he comes up to me and he goes, What's going on with you? I said, Nothing, mate, I'm fine. And I'd lost, I'd, I reckon I lost five or six kilos. Yeah. And, I'd, and I felt a bit weak, but I was okay. And he said, Are you all right or not? I said, Yeah, I am. He said, Right, you're playing. Which is fine. Train that day. Then we had the next day, we had another day, and then we had the, the game two days after. But the process is, so you've got to get signed off. So when you've, when you've had an injury, so I had my high ankle sprain. I had to get signed off by that. That's just how it works. And so I have to go see the doctor, and they say, yep, you're right to go. But then I also had to go because of this, this sickness I'd had and been in hospital. So you just had to, they just had to check I was all right. I went to saw him, and he said, righto. He said, the ankle's fine, no problems at all. He said, but we've got to do a quick scan of your spleen. And I said, why? And he said, well, what you've had your spleen's involved in all these infections all the rest of it and if it's enlarged and you got hit hard enough it, it could kill you if it ruptured I said I'm willing to take that risk mate <laughs> he said well I'm not so I scanned it I wasn't worried about it because I felt alright I thought mm-hmm. I'd know surely you'd know if you had something like that yeah. anyway so that's alright he um, he did the scan I didn't even wait for the result because I thought there's no, there's no problem but he ended up his receptionist ran out and called me back he said mate I've got some bad news for you I said what he said you're your spleen's enlarged. He said, I can't let you play. 
And immediately I'm thinking, I'm going to tell Wayne Bennett, who believes that you're not, it's not an injury unless it's a compound fracture, that I have a swollen spleen and I can't play football this week. I was dreading it. But that's what I had to do. And this, remember this. This is coming off. I had my debut. This is, the, this is the period of events afterwards. And so I go and tell him that I've got an enlarged spleen and I can't play this week. And he looked at me and he just shook his head and walked away. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I, trained all, so I trained all weekend. I was 100% fit. I didn't feel a single bit. So the next week, now this is where this gets bizarre. The next week, we'd lost again. He picked me again. <laughs> he picked me again. He'd come up to me and he said, right, eh? last chance. I'm going to let you play this week. You think you might play? I said, I'm in, mate. That's all right. Go through the week. I'm on fire. I'm feeling real good and I'm thinking, this is good. I'm this, this crap's behind me. I'm ready to go. So anyway, the last thing I had to do was go back and see the doc. Get signed off. So I go back and see. He said, we'll do your scan again. He said, but you look right, you know. Anyway, so he did the scan. I won't scan, didn't wait. He called me back. He said, man, I got bad news. He said, this is still big. And I said, I was speechless because I didn't know what to say. So I went and told Wayne. And I, I can't even remember what his reaction was because I, I, I might have phoned it in. But anyway, that's okay. That went on for another 12 weeks. Wow. Didn't play. Every week I went, every week was too big. Scanned, no good. Got to the end of the year. And that was, I was coming off contract. Yeah. And so I thought, my, my, my year was comprised of four Reserco games in 57 seconds of first grade. And for the rest of it, I just I just trained. Yeah. Didn't didn't have a single ill effect, like, but I just couldn't play. Anyway, they resigned me, and this is another reason I've always been loyal to Wayne. Whatever he saw in me, he believed enough, and he signed me again. So I start the next year, and by this time I was proper, properly confident of how to do this. I knew I could be a professional footballer, and so I worked like buggery during the off season, and I was fit and strong and ready to go. And I knew I was going to get there then, and I had this real confidence. However. The start of the year, everything from the previous year still exists. So I had to go get signed off. So I go in. Now, of course, by this time, I'm not even thinking about this thing because it's they're so far ago. Goes in and he scans it. And I didn't worry. Walked out. And he said, uh, called out again. He said, no, nah, better come back, mate. I said, dog. I said, it's not going to do you any good telling me anything about my spleeners. He said, no, 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 no. He said, what I'm going to tell you is this. He said, we scanned your spleen again. He said, it's still big. And I said, how can that be? He said, well, you know what? He said, I reckon you've just got a big spleen. <laughs> you scan my spleen again today, mate, it's the same size. So I wasted a solid three quarters of a season. And it wasn't the doc's fault, it was no one's fault, but that's yeah. just how it was. Yeah. But it was one of them things, and there was nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And it's still the same size today. Been <laughs> like that all the time. Mm. But after that, and finally, now there, there's, a, there's a mix of stories in there I've told you, which, which all add up to a very rocky start. Mm. But that after that year, after that, the spleen thing at the start of that season, mate, I went on and I barely ever got injured again. Mm. And I just played and played and played and things went my way. And so I think I got all my bad demons mm. out of the way early. First three months. Because after that, it was good. Well, you did break an arm. What was that? Two, 2000 uh, it was. Mm. So mm. there was a grand final I played that with. But by comparison, that was that was relatively easy. Mm. It was just sore. You, know, like, you had that arm guard too, didn't you? you like a wheelie bin. It was described as a wheelie bin on my arm because it was yeah. big. Yeah. And those days, like um, Tony Spencer, who was our strapper, he's still a strapper, they've been strapper for years and years, one of those real club icons. He was very good. He was a plumber. Yeah. He put all sorts of stuff in that <laughs> <Plumber>. arm guard. 
It was unbelievable. It was solid, mate. There was nothing going to break that arm. But oh, geez, it was sore. It was, it was one of the hardest things I did on a sporting field because it just, you know, when something's really sore, it was yeah. sore every time I took a step, it hurt. But yeah. got to play in a grand final, we won. You're talking about training. Were you a good trainer in general? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Because once you start to work out, mate, and I probably worked this out early in life and I've applied every other thing, you know who wins in this world, mate? The hardest workers. And it doesn't matter what, when you're talking about winning. I'm not talking about winning a game or, or, or winning a fortune or, or, you know, whatever it is that you want to be good at. You want to be good at something, be the hardest worker, mate. Turn up the earliest, go home the latest, do the hardest work, do the things that people won't do because that's what success looks like. And I worked that out. I worked that out as a result of, of the early part of my footy career and, and having watched my father work so hard for, for no real um, return, if you like. Then I worked out if you worked hard in the right direction, that's that's how you won. And so, mate, for, for all of my career, I trained just as hard as I could. I'd train on days off because I thought I, I wasn't a particularly talented player, but I could work hard and I could sustain that. And I thought, well, that's that's my thing, so I'm going to maintain that. And then as I've moved in the other things in my life, I just, you know, you turn up early, give people more than what they expect and, 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 and be consistent at that. And, and then... It's amazing how life's road sort of smooths out a bit. You get the same shit that everyone does and things go wrong from time to time. But when you're willing to, to have that sort of backbone and, and turn up that regularly with a, a monotonous sort of consistency, you will get by in this world. But you know why people fail at anything? Because that gets too hard for them. That's all it is. There's a million talented... Let's talk about Tom, let's talk about whatever you want to talk. There's a million talented people who never went on to do what they could have done. And some of them are happy with that and completely went in the other direction. So I'm not being particularly negative about that. But sometimes they take a peek and they see what it takes and they think, well, that's just not for me. And that's fine. But if you want to really get into something, if you want to achieve something in life, it is going to be hard work and you are going to have to keep working hard for a long time at it. So you're saying that sometimes people, it's not merely that they're not good enough, it's they give in too early. I don't think it's ever about not being good enough. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I have not really seen too many... You know, where, where someone has just tried with everything they've had and, and, and haven't quite had it. Now, that might be true of, of, um, of some things, but in most things, if, if you have enough will, you will get there. Mm. You will mm. get there. Well, I've certainly experienced your work ethic on a couple of occasions. The first being seven or eight years ago at what most normal people would call the middle of the night. I was fast asleep on my phone, which is on the Duchess at the end of the bed, goes off. I get out of bed, look at the screen, it's a text message from Shane Webke. I didn't reply then, but called you at a reasonable hour and, and you explained. Well, when I still had a hotel, well, it, it's a necessity because I guess for people to understand, doing the Channel 7 News, in, I do in Brisbane, but I live in Toowoomba. Sure. The reason I live in Toowoomba is I wanted my kids to, to grow up in a regional town, number one. Number two, I grew up here around here myself um, and we have our country about 45 kilometres southwest of here. So therefore... I, I want to live here, but I need to work in Brisbane. And at that stage, I had the pub, we had our farm. And so all of these things have got to all of these things have got to happen. But the other thing, I, the other thing that I'm passionate about is is you know keeping healthy, because I'm a big bloke. I love to eat. I love a beer. So therefore, I've got to go to gym. The only time I can fit that in is at five o'clock in the morning. So my alarm goes at twenty past four. Twenty past four, get up, go to the gym. At that stage, I come home, have a quick brekkie with the kids. Then I'd slip out to the pub because I'd have to be taking stock out and different things, give them a hand to get started and all the rest of it. I'd always have to do a little bit with the farm and the rest of it. So I'd try and get home by lunchtime because I'd get up early and I've got to drive late. 
Mm. So I always try and have a, a like 20, 25 minute sleep, have a bit of lunch, and then slip down the hill, do the, do the news. That finishes at seven o'clock. And so then hour 40 back home at, at 8.40, then I've got to catch up in the office work. So I'll do all that and do pay some bills and answer some emails, do some planning, go to bed and do it all again the next day. And people say, you know, and I don't, I'm not trying to paint that as a badge of honour because plenty of people do that every day. But people who know me and know that I do, they say, how do you keep doing it? But it's like all habits. Once yeah. you get a habit, you've got a habit. And, and so, you know what, it's as, it's as natural to me as doing that is, is sleeping to 8 o'clock is for some people. It is amazing what you can get done a day if you really go hard at it. And, and so I don't tell a lot of people about that because I don't need to, number one. But number two, I just enjoy living like that. I know it's not for everybody. I know people look at that and think that's weird. I wouldn't want to live like that. But I do know that works for me. And rather than fatigue me, it energises me. The more I get done, the more I want to do. And so it's a bit infectious like that. And I know people, and, and it's funny, when you become an early riser... You never ever want to be any other way again because the one thing you know about when you get up early, what you can get done in those first hours of the day is incredible because that's when the world's sort of sleeping. I, I love it because I sort of think, well, you're getting, the, you're getting the jump on everyone and that sort of energises you as well. And, mate, I've never been more happy than I am now and, and I've never been more busy. I just think it's how we're designed to be. Yeah, well, I know you're still busy because you got me again this week. <laughs> I was lying in bed at 4.30 in the morning, my phone goes ding, and Debbie woke up. She said, what's that? I said, I think it's Shane. He's getting ready to go to the gym. <laughs> you must do some driving each year. You well, must be doing close to 100,000 yeah, days a year before you even take we'll, the kids in here every weekend. Wear some vehicles out. Don't worry about that. But they're Toyotas, so we don't wear them out too quick. <laughs> <laughs> Good plug. Good yeah, plug for one of the sponsors, huh? <laughs> we discussed your first game. Obviously, your last game was 2006. You'd said ahead of time that you were going to retire. It was going to be last year, yep. and obviously the Broncos were in the grand final again. Was there more pressure on you as a result of that? And I guess the other question is, do you remember that last game finally, or was it a blur because of the media commitments and other things that were happening associated with your last year in yeah, rugby, rugby look, league? Look, I, I probably didn't enjoy it, to be honest. Um, I don't really like being the centre centre of attention. I'm, I'm happy being part of things like the Bronx and everything, but I, I never liked being the black, you know... In, firmly in the spotlight and for that two weeks or that month really because I was retiring every week that we in class would look like we're getting close to a grand final and, and just and just kindly like people were they're so bloody nice and 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 all wanted to for me to finish you know with a, with a grand final which which I did too but oh there's an enormous amount of pressure enormous mm. amount not because I I wasn't particularly worried about whether we win the grand final because at that stage we had a very good team sure. we had Wayne if we made the grand final, I knew we were winning because that's just what we did. Mm. And I know that sounds arrogant, but that mm. that wasn't if, if if we any Bronco side that I was in, and that only changed recently in 2015 when they lost. But any Bronco mm. side I was in that made a grand final, if we made the grand final, we were going to win it because mm. we were just we were just good enough then. Um, and so I thought if we make the grand final, well, that bit takes care of itself. But all the other stuff was was a bit of a distraction, and and I had to work pretty hard to sort of keep it under control. Um, but in the end, it worked out good, and, and, and I'll never, ever stop being grateful for what I was afforded in terms of my sporting career to finish on, on that day. Um, and I'm really grateful to the blokes I played with because as much as you, you never do it for, for individual players, and me as a player, who you know, you know, I had blokes like Alf and Kevy who retired and different things, and so we, we were always sending players out in one way or another. You never really thought, oh, let's do it for them. Sure. But party also was, you know what, we don't want to let these fellas down. And I know that they 
had that for me and I'll, and I'll never stop being grateful for that because they, have, they, they let me go out the best way possible. Mm. Sure. I think I've read somewhere, you haven't told me this, and I'm probably guessing that you don't watch a lot of rugby league on TV <laughs> because I do see you on a Wednesday night on Channel 7 <laughs> with Trevor Gilmeister putting your tips in. Mate, I think I've, I'm doing better in the tipping comp than you are this year. Yeah. What's, what's the story yeah, there? No, I'm, not, I'm not an avid watcher. I don't have a lot of time to watch footy, to be honest, but um, I love rugby league. I've loved it my whole life. Um, but that more extends to playing it rather than watching it. And that's not to say I don't take an interest. Of course I do, and it's my job to know about certain things. So I, 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 I make it my business to catch up and know what's going on with clubs and teams sure. and that. But I don't watch a lot of footy. Um, but I never have. Mm. So it's not something. Mm. I've, it's not something that. Oh, now I'm you know finished my playing career and I'm done with rugby league. I love rugby league, mm. but I never really wanted to watch it. I've never. Mm. I never really followed a club when I was a kid. But mm. but love the game. Love playing it. The best game ever. And, and you know the only sport I ever wanted to play, but it just never—I never got excited. And, and Wayne, you know, still laughs about it because he'd be talking about players, and I'd have no idea what he was talking about <laughs> because it, unless they were the real well-known ones, I just didn't know. And because yeah. I didn't—I didn't really take a lot of notice of it. And that wasn't me being rude or arrogant or you know, or, it just wasn't me. I was more interested, mate. I'd read the Country Life or watch Landline. They're the things I was really interested in. Was rugby league? Stepping stone to your future in agriculture. It has been. It wouldn't. What I've what I've done. The place I've bought, and we bought some really nice country. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do work not for footy. So, mate, I I owe the game of rugby league so much. I really do. Um, it's been like it's been the biggest part of my life outside of my family, um, because it feels like family, mate. They're people that, that I have known and my lifelong friends because of the game, and that's all the way through. My oldest friends are the ones I played junior footy with. And then all the all the blokes I met on the Bronx and different things. So, so it's just been a really wonderful part of my life, um, and I'll always be grateful that that it happened. And I'm more even more so because it's the only thing. And, and then the the resultant things that came out of it. So, you know, because I was um, well known for being a footballer, then people had asked you to speak at things. I, I managed to be okay at that. And then then the thing about Dad painted me as a bit of the ability to be a safety advocate, and I managed to to find a way to do that. Um, so all of those things combined have allowed me sufficient income to buy. And anyone who knows agricultural land, particularly now, in the times we're living in now, um, it's incredibly expensive. Sure. And it won't stack up. There's bugger all that'll stack up with the dollars it costs to buy it to what you're going to make from it. Most of us in, who in my age group who have had to start on the land without a family place to inherit, which is me, um, you have to have another source of income. Otherwise, you just won't make a pay. Yeah. It doesn't mean, I reckon, the, you know, I look at our place. It'd pay, it, it'd pay its interest bill and it'd pay its loan, but it wouldn't pay me. So that's, that's the bit you've got to do. So you've got to make sure. And look, you know, I'm fine with that, mate. I, I, I long ago stopped worrying about that because the other good part about that is when something breaks on me, when I need to renew something, I can I can't. I don't have to be like my dad was, who, who had to scrimp and save, and, and oh, we can't do that piece of fencing because we can't afford the wire. Well, because I because I have this other job, and I'm willing to work all the hours that God gave me, I, I'm able to get these things done in the time that I want them to get them done. You know, yeah. doesn't matter I can do everything, but but yeah. certainly the things that I prioritise, I'm able to do simply because I, I have this other income, which is a, a direct hangover of having been a prison Broncos footballer. 
Tell us about your farm. You had sheep originally. I think you've moved into a little bit of cattle. And oh, man, I love, I love it all. Like, I, I do a bit of everything. So at the moment, we have a mixture. We've got some Condamine River country, some um, Black Soil Flats, which is just beautiful. We have some lighter Thanes Creek country, which is just beautiful creek flats, which is cultivated. We've got some irrigation. We grow some onions. We've got grown some barley. We have no sheep. I have, I have cattle adjusted at the moment. Uh, we've got some really nice, sweet cattle country. And we trade a bit in. You know, I, I look for opportunities. Because we've only got a couple of thousand acres, it's very hard to run like self-replacing herds or anything like that. And, and I like fat lambs because that's a good use of smaller blocks. And particularly, we can grow really good feed and plenty of it uh, with the irrigation. It's funny when you don't have the like breeder country or something. That's not to say that I won't launch into something at that at some stage. I've always had this plan of building a big enough agricultural asset that I'll get past that having to have a job thing. Um, and, that, and I can see how it's done, but it does it does take some time to go to that scale. I'm 45 now, which means I reckon I still got a good 20 years of feeling good and feeling like working, and, and got it still got an appetite for risk. So I think in those 20 years, I'd, I'd love to branch out and, and, and maybe into some more fair income cattle country, something that, you know, like run a, a breeder block like that. I'm, I'm into breeding. Like I, I trade a bit at the moment, but the thing I love about the fat lambs is you're, you're creating something. That's why I like grain growing and that. You're actually, you're actually making something. Not to say that when you buy a steer in and fatten it, you haven't created that new product. There's something about birthing something that I reckon um, is, is the satisfying bit about ag. Um, and we also have a lot of timber. So we cut timber and posts and firewood and all sorts of things. I love timber. Yeah. Grew, up, grew up with the timber and, yeah, just love being in a homebark forest, mate. Love it. Actually, you were telling me earlier, I was showing some photos of your latest venture with your new wool shed you've just taken on. Yeah, I'm a sucker for... Yeah, so our, our next-door neighbours sold um, recently and anyway, they sold to a, to a corporate. There was this beautiful old wool shed because the property used to be a, a huge place, a sheep station, like so much of Australia was in the early days. Anyway, over the progressive years, it, it all shrank and, and ended up with this beautiful old wool shed, 16 shed. Yeah, you know, these corporate blokes just didn't have a, a use for it. And so we, we did a deal and I bought it and I moved it, which was only you know three or four k's away from, from our place. So we just went straight through the paddock and took it home. But it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's really... It's quite important to me too because it represents part of the history of our district. Sure. How old is it? 100 years. Well, it's 98 years old, so I'll have it for its 100th birthday. Mm. And, I, and I just, you know, I think it's a, um, it was something that would probably end up falling into disrepair. I'm not having to go with the, the, the corporate mm. blokes for this. They have no use for it. Sure. So it, it's pretty difficult to maintain something you're not using. So, mm. But I do. I, I'm just going to make I'm just going to make it into a glorified bar. No, it's never going to see sheep again. No, it won't. It won't see sheep again, but it will see plenty of it'll see plenty of forage gold. But anyway, the other thing about this, and I haven't told you this, I am a touch of a nostalgic bloke. So this wool shed has seen every party for the last 50 years, all the all the, all the people I know, including my mates 21st, and it was at one of these parties that I met my wife. And there's a little spot in the front of that shed. Now, she was from Brisbane, so there was it was actually a, a bigger coincidence than you think. Yeah. And just happened to be at this party, and I met her, and there's a little spot in the shed, so I might have to Can do I something be. special on the floor <laughs> there, right? So you didn't know that. Uh, there's something that you didn't know. Uh, there is a big soft person inside yeah, of this, this sure. big man mountain of a body. Talking about big fellas. A few years ago, you and I had lunch and I learned a very good lesson that day, and it's to make sure that you stand in front of you at the buffet table and not behind you. you Just let me tell the stories, mate. Come on. <laughs> I just want to say you're good on the teeth. But one of our regular questions to our podcast guests is about their favourite choice of beef cut. 
And I don't mean your special toss on a barbie beef on a weekend with your mates around, which for you would probably be half a cow. But your regular week meal, what would you, Ali, and the kids sit down to? Well, they're, they're, um, they're more partial to your fillet steaks. Um, and we buy some really good stuff actually from Ashton's at Pittsworth. Um, they, they source their own meat and they've got just beautiful meat. I, more, more recently, I've always loved rump steak. So if I'm going to have steak, I'll generally have rump steak. Even if it has traditionally been a little bit chewier, I always liked it because I reckon it tastes a bit better. Yeah. Um, but I have more recently been experimenting, well, taste testing, if you like, um, a bit of Wagyu rump. And then, like we eat bits and pieces of everything, but yeah. generally there's protein. That's all right. Love me lamb chops too, don't worry. Yeah, we're not going to talk about lamb here today, well, are we? Where are we? Well, that's <laughs> right, this is beef. <laughs> it's just beef. Now, you've been to Beef Australia before. Yes. And unfortunately, in 2018, due to family issues, you didn't make it up there. Mm. 2021. We're going to see Shane Webke at Beef Australia. If you'll have me. If you'll have you. Yeah. Definitely. They still got beer and steak tea? I think we do, yeah. <laughs> well, you know fi- what? Probably count, find you a rump. Count me in then. <laughs> it's a done deal. Shane Webke. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Russ. you very much. Glad to talk to you, mate. Thank you. Beef Australia is proudly supported by our principal partners. Thanks to the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, the Queensland Government, Meat and Livestock Australia and the Rockhampton Regional Council. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.